Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 13. All of our readings this morning are fairly short, so make sure you're paying attention right from the start so you don't miss it. This is Exodus 23, verses 10 through 13. And again, we have that same um, thing to keep in mind as we read things from the Old Testament that Jesus said he did not come uh, to do away with or to abolish the law or the prophets not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so as we read them, we have to read them in light of Jesus and how he has fulfilled them and, what then, and therefore what that means for us today. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. And God, we do ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, God, that by your word and by your spirit, you would change us and evermore into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 23, starting in verse 10. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days, do your work. But on the seventh day, do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Turning then to our gospel reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 29. After Jesus had healed a paralyzed man, everyone praised God and said, we've seen remarkable things. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Dot, dot, dot. Find out what happens next week. If you want to read ahead, I'd be okay with that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are uh, looking at a passage in 1 Corinthians. It's also a fairly short one. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, and this is going to be looking at athletic competition, and specifically athletic training for competition uh, as an illustration for what it means to live as a Christian. So um, as we've been seeing with Paul in this letter that he's writing to the church in Corinth, is there a group of people who are really wanting to follow Jesus, and yet they're being influenced by a culture that is not following Jesus. So he's writing to them to um, kind of get them back on track. And, uh, of course, as he does that, he uses a lot of illustrations and ways that they can understand it, and he also consistently just keeps applying it to himself. So we'll see both of those things here as well. Here we go. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is, uh, this is a short passage, but it is ooh, a lot in here. And it's easy to uh, pay attention to this first line and actually misunderstand the whole passage. So let me say, tell you what I mean. When it says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the, gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize? If you only have that line that you're thinking of, and you're missing the whole context of the rest of the letter and the rest of this passage, then it kind of sounds like, well, I mean, just think about it. It sounds like normal competition. And it sounds like uh, the kind of competition where, look, if only one gets the prize, all I have to do is make sure that I'm ahead of the other people. This can be accomplished various ways. <laughs> and so you might have heard the uh, old story of you know, two people who were out in the wilderness and, and they see a bear is coming towards them and they're like, oh my goodness, what do we do? And so one of them bends down and starts to tie his shoes and the other guy says, you're really going to think you can outrun that bear? He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Yeah. Sometimes we view competition this way, don't we? <laughs> Where I don't actually have to perform my best. All I have to do is perform better than somebody else. And we kind of take this uh, aspect of you know competition that can be good and is actually intended for good things. It's intended to bring out the best in the athletes and those who are competing. But with everything, you know, there's kind of this shadow side as well. And so you do have things uh, like cheating and sabotage the opponents. And so you have things, you know, names like Lance Armstrong and Tanya Harding that come to mind. You don't need to get into the, oh, but they really worked hard anyway. Fine, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is that competition shadow side led them to do things and cross lines that that competition was never intended uh, to bring out in them. See what I'm saying? Same thing in uh, Christianity. We tend to have these two sides we fall into, kind of this, um, the side of if we think of competition in you just have to be better than the other people, then when we think of ourselves as Christians, we start looking for other people and going, well, I'm not doing what they're doing, and if I'm not doing what they're doing, that means they're worse than I am. That means I'm doing all right. And where does that lead you? Pride, right? Which is <laughs> the, the chief of all sin. It leads us to pride into thinking that we don't need Jesus, we don't need a Savior, and we don't need to love our neighbor. I got this. Is that what's supposed to be the result of Christianity? No, absolutely not. And so if that's the way we're viewing it is, oh, I just have to be better than so-and-so, and because I see they're doing this, then <laughs> I'm good. I've missed it. Or we have the opposite problem, which is you look at somebody who is, uh, seems much farther along spiritually than you, and you go, I could never do what they're doing. So why bother? And it leads to despair. 
And these two uh, extremes are kind of the areas where we end up a lot when we forget Jesus. When we forget Jesus, we tend to either pride or despair. But think about this. And the gospel keeps us from both of these. Because if we remember that is, like in Romans 5, it says that it's while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about this. If it's while we were sinners, Christ died for us, where's the place for pride? It's while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't do anything to deserve this. So if we're, it's while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that keeps us from pride. But if it's while we were sinners that Christ died for us, that keeps us from despair, doesn't it? This is the context in which Paul writes this and says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. The purpose of him bringing this in is not the purpose of competition against other people. The purpose in bringing it up is in looking at what it is that athletes go through in order to be able to compete. Think about it. Have you ever been watching the Olympics and you know how on, when you're watching the Olympics, they do the, like the backstories on some of the athletes. You ever been watching that? And somebody's like, you know, I've never even done this sport. Like this is one of those things where I just heard they were having tryouts. And so like I just went and I like I've never even figure skated before. I've never even ice skated, but turns out I can do a triple Lutz. Who knew? So I'm here and I know, hope it goes well. That doesn't happen. Nobody's like, oh, who knew? I didn't know I could pole vault over a bus. That's not an Olympic sport, but it should be. But you know what I'm saying. Like, there's every story, like the backstories of these athletes are almost all the same. How does it always start? They start when they're little, right? They all start when they're really little. And then this is something that their parents have been uh, encouraging and supporting and spending their time and their money, their resources, in order to provide opportunities for them to reach their full potential. And as they have continued and they have seen uh, results in various ways, and other doors are open and they just keep going, and then at some point it's like, you know what? I might actually be able to make the Olympic team. You know what? I might actually be able to win the gold medal. And this is the story that tends to uh, come along with Olympic athletes. Now think about this. As you hear those stories, do those athletes live like everybody else? No, they don't. That's Paul's point. The people who are actually uh, excelling in their athletics have made personal sacrifices. They wake up when their body does not want to wake up. (laughs) They go and do hard things that they don't want to do. (laughs) And they continue to put their uh, body through what it needs to go through in order for them to be able to do what they couldn't do before. Right? This is the case with all uh, athletic endeavors. And, uh, And he says, now think about this. You've seen this. You've seen this happen over and over with all these athletes. This is what they do. This is part of just what it means to be an athlete. And he said, but now think about why they do it. 
Think about what they actually get. If they actually make it to the pinnacle of their sport and they get that first place and they've done it, they have achieved the highest achievement in the sport. And what is it? And for them, and for us, we think of the gold medal or, you know, Lombardi trophy, whatever it is. But we, uh, if you get to that pinnacle, for them, it was this, uh, like a laurel wreath, this branches and leaves that they would make into a crown and you'd wear that on your head. And it was great for a day. But, as Jesus says, <laughs> you know, the, uh, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You remains in me, bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He talks about the branch that gets cut away from the vine and what does it do? It withers. And the same was true with, for these crowns. They would do all this, and Paul's like, look at this. They are willing to sacrifice so much to get this crown, and that crown doesn't even last. And so his point is, how much more should this be the case for anyone who is a Christian? Think about that crown that will last forever, right? That there is a glory that does not fade, And then Paul, of course, applies this to himself. And he says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. That's such a great mental image. Can you imagine? This was actually, I think, a Monty Python sketch a lot of years ago. They had the Silly Olympics. Anyway. And uh, I can't remember what exactly it was, but they fire the gun and, like, everybody runs in different directions. (laughs) What's even going on? And there was no like point to it, but anyway. But can you imagine, like you have you go to, go to the track meet and everybody's lined up at the starting line and they fire the gun and nobody runs towards the finish line. What even is this? Paul's like, no, that's not what you do. Like when you are training, what you do is you run on purpose. And so you know you've got a bunch of runners here. You can ask them. Their coach have specific workouts for you to do. Are there specific Uh, distances you're supposed to be running, specific times you're supposed to be hitting? Yes. (laughs) It's intentional. It's on purpose. You're not running just aimlessly. You have a purpose for the training um, to be able to run farther, to be able to run faster, etc. He says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I don't know how much you know about how boxers train, but typically it's not just the throwing your fists around in the air. But they actually get in the ring and they spar with somebody. And it hurts. <laughs> and, um, and this is what he's saying. He's like, it, it's, but it's intentional. And the reason is for improvement. And it's not just uh, so he gets beat up. <laughs> he says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. But this is... Uh, something that Paul is doing on purpose, with a purpose, and that is for growth as a Christian, to be able to do the things that God has given for him to do. This is, um, there are these things that in the Christian church we talk about, you know, as spiritual disciplines. You heard that phrase before? Spiritual disciplines? I actually like uh, John Mark Comer talks about it as uh, practices of Jesus. That's the phrase he gives to it. Because really that's where it comes from. Like this is, you know, when you think about discipline, we kind of have this 
Um, connotation of that word like it has to do with punishment. And it's actually it's, it's not so much about uh, punishment as it is about training. And so uh, this is the same word where we get the word disciple. It's this apprenticeship. It's this learning how to do what Jesus does. And so if you look at what he has his disciples do, he has them do what he does. And he comes to them and he does these things and he says, follow me, right? This is how the whole thing works. And so sometimes people are like, oh, what are, what are the lists of, you know, all the spiritual disciplines? And that'll almost be like going and saying, you know, what are all the workouts that an athlete would need to do? I'm like, well, it depends. But if you try to do them all at once, you're probably not going to do it for very long. <laughs> it needs to be uh, put into practice intentionally and over time and with consistency. And, uh, and as far as like an overall list of all of them, good luck. But there are some things that do come through pretty clearly when you just start asking the question, what did Jesus do? What were his habits? What were his practices? What were the things that he was doing and the ways in which he was doing them? And this is what uh, leads us into, I mean, read through, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What is Jesus doing? Does he ever pray? Does he ever pray in the moment? Like when something's going on? Does he ever set aside specific times to go and pray? Does he uh, have times where he is around people? Does he have times when he's away from people? Is he giving generously of his time and his resources? Um, And then you look at the things that he is teaching his disciples as he sends them out. And it's even, you look at the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the acts of righteousness. And he mentions three things that uh, other people are doing too, but they're not doing them as they should. He talks about, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 6, and he talks about uh, giving uh, to the needy. And he talks about uh, praying. And he talks about fasting. And says, these, you know, people are doing these to show off to other people and that will get them nowhere. All that will get them is praise from people, and that is not what this is about. But if you actually want to grow in your relationship with God, he's like, yes, these are things you should do. <laughs> but when you do them, do them as a part of your relationship with God. So look, look for these things. Look for these spiritual, diff- uh, spiritual disciplines, these practices of Jesus. And also understand uh, there's another aspect of this couple actually uh one as i mentioned is the don't get overwhelmed and start leaning towards despair again and going i can't ever do all of these things pick something pick something start doing that i was talking to a track coach um last year sometime and he's saying that you know the way that he coaches uh his athletes is by only ever giving them one thing to fix at a time He's like, if you give them all the things they're doing wrong, then they get overwhelmed and it's too much and they they just can't put it into practice. And so he's like, so I just pick one thing. What's the one thing they need to work on next? And then once they get that down, all right, what's the next thing? All right, what's the next thing? And just keep going that way. And eventually, 
make a lot of progress. I think this is how we put these practices in as well. Little by little, consistently, over time. And <clears throat> and the other... Uh, well... Uh, oh, yeah, that's what it was. The other thing is... Um, Sometimes when we start working out, start exercising, like ah, going back to the athlete thing, you start exercising thinking, I'm going to get in shape. And what it actually turns out is you don't get in shape, but you do identify an injury you have that you didn't even know. There might be a spiritual parallel here as well. <laughs> but how do you know that's there unless you start working out, <laughs> Right? And so when you start in, uh, it may reveal uh, an issue that you didn't know you had. And you may need to get that dealt with. You may need to get help in getting that dealt with in order to be able to then move forward. Uh, And if that's the case, pay attention to that too. (laughs) Don't just go, I'm just going to keep on trying this anyway, even though it just is only bringing about horrible things in my life. (laughs) Don't do that. Um. Although, it will require sacrifice. Thinking about the training uh, with the, the athletes, he points out, you know, they go into strict training. You think about these Olympic athletes who sacrifice so much, and yet it is all for a purpose. And this is in, uh, and how much more for us as Christians? In Romans chapter 12, this is how uh, he starts this chapter, Paul writing in church in Rome, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be like everybody else. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sometimes we have this... Um, image in our heads of like look if salvation is by grace through faith there's nothing we can do to earn it it's a gift of god right not by works that no one can boast what paul says the church in ephesus yes and then we kind of stop there and go so as christians we come in and do nothing <laughs> because if we were going to do anything like actually jesus says in the sermon on the mount like he goes through the whole thing he gets to the end and he's like anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And puts them into practice. It was like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you hear the difference? Jesus doesn't seem to think that what we're supposed to do is just come in and say, hey, it's all by grace, so therefore we do nothing. He's like, actually, if you hear all this and you do nothing, it all comes crashing down. You have to put it into practice. When he says, follow me, that means we actually do the things he's saying to do. Uh, This is um, going back to, we're going to have a lot of sports analogies today. Uh, Going back to that, you can imagine a... uh, Football coach, grabbing somebody out of the stands. Who's this before? 
grabbing somebody out of the stands and saying, you, I want you on my team. Come on. Here's a jersey. Let's go. Not because of anything you've done. All by grace. He just picks you out of the crowd and says, you're on my team now. Now, what if you put on that jersey and you go, this is awesome. I can't believe I made the team. And then you go sit back in the stands and start making fun of all the people you're sitting around because you're like, you're not even on the team and I'm on the team. And everybody's looking at you like, what do you mean you're on the team? You're wearing the jersey. You look like you're on the team, but you're not doing what the people on the team do. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? On the one hand, he's saying this is what he has done for us that we didn't earn or deserve. Therefore, here's now how we live. Make every effort to add these things. Um, Not sure where to start? Here's an idea. Spend some time intentionally thinking about, maybe even writing down the habits you have on a daily basis. What are the things that you do regularly? Because what you do and how you do what you do is what is forming you into the person you're becoming. So write it down. Take a look at it. And then think through the things that you do and how you do it, and say, am I doing these things? Uh, like, are there things that need to be cut out? Are there things that need to be added in? Are there things that need to stay exactly what they are, but just the way you go about them is different? I'll just give you one example. Anybody here ever drive to San Angelo? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the, like the one thing that we all have in common, right? Um, but you can think to yourself, look, I'm just driving to San Angelo. And I read in the Bible, and Jesus never drove to San Angelo, so that, you know, n- there's no, uh, what, what did Jesus do here that we can look at? Well, maybe he didn't drive to San Angelo. But there are quite a few places where it mentions him traveling from place to place. 
And so can we, we can ask ourselves, as we're on the road, how am I driving to San Angelo? <laughs> what are the things that have my attention as I drive? Am I driving the way that the rest of the world does? Thinking about the things that the rest of the world thinks about in the ways that the rest of the world thinks about them? Or am I going and thinking and doing the things that Jesus would do if he were in my position today? How would he go about that? Uh, Thinking through uh, like this is really helpful in determining where to start if you don't know where to start. And if um, you're asking these questions without reading and like answering them without reading through the Gospels, you might be reinventing a Jesus (laughs) and then following that one. Keep reading the Gospels. I mentioned the, the wrong attitude the coach gives us the jersey, and then we sit up in the, um, the stands and do nothing. <laughs> it's a very different attitude, which is to understand that if he has chosen us and given us the jersey, that means that we are going to be out on the field. And if we are going to be out on the field, we need to be made ready. And so the right attitude is just to say, thank you, coach. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for clothing me in this jersey, for making me a part of your team. When does practice start? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.